Welcome back, everybody, to the Brubble Podcast, to another episode. Uh, I'm your host, Simon, and I'm here exploring young voices from around the Brussels bubble, hearing their perspectives on random policy issues and other issues of interest. And today, we're going to be taking a look at youth, or more broadly, what issues really matter to young people to improve how they live their lives across Europe. And I think this is an especially timely topic, given the fact that, day by day, we're inching closer to the European elections, which, as some people might know, the average age of the European is 44 years old. So how do us young people and our issues really matter in, you know, the debates of the future, and even the debates of the past or the present? So to help me in, you know, diving into these issues, you know, adding some youthfulness expression and voices here is Fabiana and Andrea. How are you two doing today? It's a bit of a dreary day outside, no? It's common in Brussels, I would say. It's cold, yeah, but I, I, I always feel like the dreariness of the rain and, and, the, and it, it shows that at least spring is coming, or at least that's my Canadian upbringing telling me. The well, in Romania, you would say spring is coming if the sun is on the sky, but uh, that is a bit different here in Brussels. Enough. Fair enough. I'm more hopeful as you, so we were dis- I was discussing indeed the fact that it's almost over. It's almost over. To be, to be honest, the winter here has not been that bad this year, I will say. That's your Canadian upbringing. <laughs> true, true, true. So to talk about the people sitting in here with me, I'm going to ask you two to quickly introduce yourself. So, so uh, Andrea, who are you? What do you do in life? I'm Andrea. I come from Romania, and I'm also a board member at the European Youth Forum. And apart from that, I'm 22. I just graduated university from the University of Bucharest, um, and I'm now applying to master's, so doing a lot of work for youth rights in the meantime. Great. And in, in your, because you work, you are the board member at the European Youth Forum, what does that mean for the people listening in and don't know much about the European Youth Forum or even, you know, what you do every day? Tell us a bit about that. Uh, thank you. So we at the European Youth Forum, we represent young people in Europe. So we are the political representatives. We were elected by our General Assembly national youth councils and international organizations from all over Europe. Uh, And now we are a team of nine young people from all over the continent. So I stay in Romania, I have colleagues from Finland, from Spain, from France. Uh, So it's really a diverse group of young people that comes together um, and we advocate Mm -hmm. for uh, better policymaking processes for young people. Um, And this this is what we do. So we are an organization that really tries uh, to bring the voices of young people on at the European level. Great. And I think it's always so important to hear those perspectives, especially from young people themselves, because so often when you go to events, there's a person saying, we need to involve young people, but then I see their graying beard, and I'm like, is that really the right person to be saying that? What do you think, Fabiana? You also work at the, the European Youth Forum. What do you do in life? Who are you? Tell us a bit about yourself as well. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, I am part of the Secretariat of the European Youth Forum, meaning that there is a bunch of young people, um, more around 30 people working in Brussels to empower young people, to represent the voice towards European institutions, towards the UN, the Council of Europe. Uh, we are young professionals, as uh, young professionals as uh, you are, and um, we uh, fight the battles for young people representation in Europe. What I do on my um, on daily basis, I am the data uh, kind of geek on the Youth Progress Index. So I spent uh, the last couple of years working and trying to make it uh, better. And um, for the remaining part of my time, I am a EU uh, officer. 
Nice, nice. I, I think that data background is always very interesting, and I really want to pick your brain as we go along onto those insights from the European Youth Progress Index, because it's such a fascinating report, which we'll be exploring a bit more. I'm going to link it down in the description below, so if you want to get a copy, please download it there, or get one of these beautiful printed out copies that I got before the podcast. So thank you both. So talking about the European Youth Index, what is this? To those who haven't heard about it, can we get a, a bit of an oversight of what this is and what issues it covers? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, so it's all available online. It's a, it's a tool that measures the quality of life of young people worldwide in over 150 countries. Um, and how do we measure it with over 60 indicators ranging from basic needs to, to the context like environmental quality, um, access to education and so on. And it gives us a comprehensive look on how the life of young people looks like in the different countries. And what we measure in practice is the progress. So we look at a period of over 12 years, and we then measure how a country progresses over time. So for us, it matters that you know all the countries started at a certain point 12 years ago. And for us, it's important that they all work towards bettering the quality of life of young people. So this is what we really look at beyond the economic indicators. So for us, it matters this social and environmental perspective into things. Neat. Fabian, anything to add on that description of what it goes on? Maybe the working perspective as somebody who's been, I guess, in the field and in the numbers itself? Uh, I think the most interesting aspect of it, Andrea, or um, just mention it, it's, um, well, I would say two aspects. Uh, the f first aspect is the global dimension. So the Youth Progress Index, I think, is the wholly existing uh, index really covering major aspects of young people's well-being in, or around the world. So in the, in the global report you can find online, um, you will be able to understand per region of the world, per continent, how the situation is, is really uh, going on on the field. And the second aspect is the beyond uh, growth, beyond uh, GDP approach. So we do not look at economic indicator. And why is that? Because we really want to focus on how a country is performing for its economic meaning. So we want to avoid to have Nordic countries with the Norway always at the top, always doing uh, best and uh, poorer um, countries at, at the bottom. So that's the that's the key. I think that's an interesting perspective to give, though, because, I mean, you are by name the European youth form, but having that global almost index, it kind of allows you to take more insights and kind of improve the best practices here as well. And also, you know, ignoring the economic stuff, I think it really allows you to focus down on best practices, right? And I think that those best practices are really all going to delve into, you know, what are the key lessons we learned in the last year? Because I think you just published in the end of 2023 your latest youth progress index. Are there any key takeaways you'd love to share with us? Uh, yes, definitely. So as it's a global tool, uh, it also allows us to, as Fabiana was mentioning, to compare the reality that we have in Europe with other continents. And I think that that is also key to, key to the work. It uh, encourages us to look beyond what we would usually measure, what we would think of quality of life in Europe and go a bit beyond. Um, and for example, um, we have seen that in the past 12 years, the most remarkable advancement has been only in access to information and communication. But we are well aware that is, this is also linked with the technological advancement um, and so on. So then we have a much weaker, basically, progress in other areas. Uh, for example, young people are not much safer how they were 12 years ago. 
also the environmental quality is not better. So there is many areas in which we can do much more. And for example, if you are a young citizen of this world, the participation that you have in the political sphere, like, like national parliaments, like European parliament, but also across the globe in different institutions, is, uh, is severely undermined. You know? uh, in the European parliament now we have two, two members under the age of 30. So even in Europe, the situation is, is not looking very well. And so we want with this index to also share this urgent attention that is needed and proactive measures on, on the topics where, for example, we have we, we see a clear need to advance. And I, I think speaking a bit about those specific insights that you learned, are there any numbers and you know jarring examples that stick out to you, Fabiana, as you were helping write up this report? In Europe, I think um, the most striking information we should really shout out there is that 50%, one out of two young Europeans are not satisfied with housing, with affordability of housing. And I, I think that's the, that's the, um, should be the title of uh, basically every uh, discussion we're having about young people and, well and being in Europe. It's super fascinating because I just finished recording a podcast with somebody from Euro Cities talking about the housing crisis in Europe and just how many different aspects it has all across, not just here in Brussels, but across the European continent and all, you know, the difficulty of just approaching that issue. And for me, as somebody working in Brussels, I don't see that talked enough about. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to tangent off on that. But yeah. It is, it is, and it's part of the, I would say, social inclusion that um, the, um, the Youth Progress Index this year, for instance, explores uh, through the lens of uh, mental health. Uh, so how is the fact that um, job stability is not, is not a thing for our generation? How about the, houses, the housing crisis? Those are all elements that impact on young people' uh, mental well-being, um, but it's one of the of the things that we understood while looking at the data of the Youth Progress Index. We um, also to give more of a global view. Again, uh, we can mention a couple of example positive ones. Uh, Nepal, Uzbekistan have been uh, the, ha- are the countries that in the last twelve years achieved more progress and they're still doing it at the expenses of the uh, environment and at expenses of fundamental rights of young people. So this is a clear trend that we can see all over, all over the world. Um, what is more of a concern for us at this point, representing, of course, uh, young people in, in Europe, is that two of the countries were suffering uh, assault in the world are two European countries, um, United Kingdom and France, together with um, really South Sudan, New Zealand and Australia. So it's it's a warning message here. Um, we are stalling our progress, our well-being, the effort governments put in young people well-being is stalling. Interesting, interesting. Do you think, Andrea, that this stalling trend is, is the main takeaway from this report or is there more, because I think I want to return a bit to why countries are stalling in a later sense, but... When you read through this report, are you optimistic? Do you think that, that the stalling efforts are things we have to focus on? Or? I would say it's among the main takeaways. Uh, for sure, the stalling is very important. You know? It's one of the main messages to get, get out there that, for example, over the past 10 years, European countries have frozen progress. So I believe that it's important that we keep focusing on improving things uh, in, in the quality of life that we have for young people. I think that's 
very important uh, and it should be a policy priority as well. Um, but among other takeaways, I would I would also mention the availability of data, for example. So it is true that in some areas uh, we realized we don't have enough data, like on mental well-being. We've seen with with the pandemic. Now we call it uh, that young people had a pandemic scar, uh, and it has been increasingly um, shown that young people need uh, mental well-being uh, support measures uh, and so on. And we have uh, one of the reports uh, that Fabiana was mentioning that focuses on uh, mental health and well-being. And so its main conclusion was that we need more data, basically. Um, We have very different approaches to collecting this at the regional levels. Um, And even in Europe, it's, um, it's not enough yet. So, for example, the depression rate is very... Um, is very frightening in young people uh, and also other indicators. So really, I would say if we want to prioritize our well-being, we need to also invest in in research and in data collection. Right. Do you think that just looking at these trends, you know, especially the mental health aspect, is there a reason why it's being so almost... Do you think it's being given the right amount of attention, you know, when we look at the leaders? Well, I think it should be given more attention. That's for sure. Uh, We've seen things moving at European Union level, for example, um, and also in their programs. Um, For example, I also work with with the Western Balkans on regional cooperation, um, and they had a regional event in June that was focusing on uh, mental well-being. So really... Uh, for the past two years, they've been working in each of the countries on research with the national youth councils. Then they gathered consultations. Some of them did toolkits. They are looking at changing legislation, like a national youth strategy in Macedonia, you know, for example. Uh, I would say things are really moving. Yeah. Fabiana, anything else you want to add, add on, the, on almost the mental health aspect? Because you did bring it up, and I thought it was fascinating how that was almost the first thing that was in your mind as somebody, because I think you did write a lot of the, the conclusions, a lot of the data. Why did that stick out so much? And, and do you agree with what Andrea is saying on this end? Yeah, it, it, it is true. It's a, it's a topic that is um, is getting more and more prominent. Um, we, we, we think, of course, that this should be more than that. Already the initiatives taken at the European level, uh, we see it as a, as a first step, uh, but we advocate for a more detailed um, look at young people's uh, situation. It's, it's something that, of course, impacts uh, all kind of uh, age group and, and generation, but we have recognized that um, the pandemic has left a scar on on young people. And also society in general is is evolving in a way um, that forces us to look at mental well-being with different lenses. One of which is, of course, the social social, uh, lens and aspects like trainship. Uh, We we work a lot of internship and uh, unpaid internship. That's being in your first step in your career, not having a stability or prospect, a future prospect. Uh, it's one of the of the elements that we are investigating as having um, detrimental effect on young people's well-being. Why it was one of the, the main uh, uh, topic in my mind, exactly for what Andrea just said. Um, as a, a person advocating for better uh, data on young people, well, the, 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 for the, the, this is for the nerdy audience uh, of yours, uh, age disaggregated data are needed. 
for non-nerdy audience of yours, we need to understand exactly how policy impacts different parts of the population. Um, the, the job market is not the same if you're 17, if you're 25, or you're 45. The policy have different, the policy and the simply um, the, the, the facts of life have different impact. And um, when you're young, when you're adolescent, when you're a young adult, we really need smaller um, age brackets to understand the transitioning between being a kid and being a teen, being a teen and being an adult. And this is um, very much needed in uh, mental health uh, policies, is very much needed in, in, many, in many policies. And um, particularly this, I think, is one of the emergencies of uh, we are facing right now. Yeah, very interesting. And that even reminds me that these are conversations that take a really long time to even grab attention because, you know, banning unpaid internships, for instance, has been something I've been hearing for the past five, six years. And only, I think, a year ago when I sat down with Maria and and, uh, and Francesco to do a podcast again on this subject, I was realizing there's actual action happening and I saw more momentum. So it's it's good as advocacy is going on because I think a lot of times these issues aren't picked up as much as I was mentioning earlier, Chandrea. Do, is there any other issue we want to explore a bit in this in this segment we're talking about now? Is there any big, other big theme or conclusion that we should highlight to the audience? Uh, yes, I could perhaps mention our last report, uh, which is basically on fiscal choices and how they impact young people's well-being. So this is a novelty that we did this year, uh, is that we have a report focusing on how public expenditure is linked to well-being of young people. So what we looked at is uh, expenditure in education, in healthcare, uh, in social, uh, in social uh, sector, for example, and how it is linked to young people's well-being. And we discovered that there is this vicious cycle in which you would have a lesser priority in, uh, in these sectors, and then that would impact the well-being of young people long term. So if, for example, in a crisis situation, as it was with the COVID, as it is nowadays in Europe, you decrease uh, the basically investment in, in education, in healthcare, and in social services, for example, this is going to have a long-term impact on young people. So this is our way of also showing how it matters sometimes more about political choices than it matters on the power that you have as a country in the political economy. So I think this is what this is our main takeaways from there and perhaps the thematic that could be linked with uh, how we budget at the national level in the European Union and the rules that we have at the European Union for that to happen. Interesting, interesting. I think that's a, that's a fascinating takeaway because I think that links together that almost almost uh, what you were talking about, Fabiana, about how we need to have more insights on what each age bracket really needs that has to be delved into more. Because when we think about you know budgetary spending, we think about the whole population, right? We don't think about the individual you know chunks and what really needs to happen there. Because when we think, oh, a mental health crisis is sweeping Europe, is that hitting the sixty year olds? Is that hitting the fifteen year olds? How does that you know? You know, demand a different response. Although um, I think to just to, to build up on what you're 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 saying, um, another interesting step uh, of it is that the, the expenditure we found that the expenditure on education and health has direct impact on on the third dimension of the youth progress index. Uh, what's that? 
all what is related to uh, fundamental rights, civic space, participation. So actually, well, this is old news, but it's always important to, to remember that the more you invest in uh, uh, social spending, the more you invest in education, in health, in the opportunities for young people, the better is your society, the more democratic is your society. I think this is one of the most important outcomes of this edition. It's important to say no to austerity for us. It's important to really uh, focus on uh, uh, the needs of uh, people on the ground. And I think that kind of maybe swings into, you know, who performed well and who didn't and what that says about Europe. Because you did mention, for instance, the UK and France, they're declining a bit. But while I skimmed through the report, almost every top country was a European country. You know, what, what does that, what, what do we take away from that about Europe as a whole? That we are very lucky, and I think... <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It's the first thing we have to recognize that um, Europe is uh, one, probably the best region of the world to, to be, to be. Uh, and to be young, but it's also it does it doesn't and this is exactly what uh, I think um, Andrea was was uh, referring to when she said it's important to understand that uh, we use the global tool to focus on aspects at a global level, not necessarily important right 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 here. We're in Brussels, in the center of Brussels. The second thing that um, is important also to 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 check is not. Not a ranking, because I don't think it's the point of the Youth Progress Index, but how well those countries at the top are doing if compared with their economic means. Mm. For instance, Portugal, it's uh, not that high in the, in the ranking probably as in European countries, country, uh, but it performs way better than, for instance, uh, Turkey or uh, Luxembourg. Luxembourg has, I think, doubled the... Uh, GDP of, of Portugal, and yet um, the the lived experience on the ground is quite different. No, very interesting, because I, I remember when I was reading through this, well, what really stood out to me as somebody who holds joint Dutch and Canadian citizenship, you spent a very little box ripping into almost, you know, how Canada was performing and how we could see impacts of, you know, how like housing insecurity, you know, mental health, that kind of stuff really impacting, you know, the place that Canadian youth, their opinions were having on that scale. So I, I think it is interesting to compare, you know, those austerity measures, making sure you're investing in the youth and making sure that moves forward well. Yes, if I may here, actually, uh, we've also given an interview at the Canadian radio station some time <laughs> ago. Uh, so we had to dig in actually some information on comparison. Um, and one of the, unfortunately, one of the things that we do have in common is this, uh, this dissatisfaction on housing affordability. Uh, now, this is very common with uh, with the North America, like the United States and Canada. And I think in their case, it's also decreasing. So this is some worrying topics that we see as common challenges in, in both regions of the world. And I think it's also an indicator that we need to change the way in which we view investment in young people and their support systems, because this is not working. Right, right. I think that's a great point. And, and apologies to my listeners who keep seeing me pull stuff back to Canada, despite this being a very explicitly Brussels-based podcast, but uh, I guess I roam the hallways too. I, I mean, now, I guess taking, you know, the results of this report and extrapolating a bit, we're here, I think, two, three months away from the European elections. If you meet a young person and they ask you, hey, I read this great report, there's some troubling trends, what do I do now? How can I make an impact in my community? What do you tell them? So use the data, organize with young people, share it widely. I think it's important that 
we first make uh, make it known. We need to be aware of the main trends that are affecting young people and also they can serve as an indicator to know what what we can do about it. So, for example, the second step would be make it available for decision makers, link to them the areas in which the young people want them to work on. Uh, and some of them can pick it up. No, we, we've had examples like uh, in Albania, the Youth Progress Index is included in the National Youth Strategy uh, for the next period of time. So these are examples that things can work out and engage with the content. Get on the ground and organize debates with young people on one topic that matters to you. And then the Youth Progress Index can be a tool that supports your demands. You can use it as an activist, you can use it as a policymaker, or really at any, as any other ally that is a person uh, who supports young people. And I think, Fabiana, also, also building off that, when we see the elections coming up, like looking at the trends that we see in the report, do we see those being picked up by policymakers as well? Like, are there any that we really see being connected by the dots here? Well, in the last few months, what we, we have been doing is to uh, lobby. Uh, we lobbied all the political parties to um, to include uh, youth um, mainstream in their manifestos. What do, what do I mean with that? Not just a paragraph on a um, few lines on your, your on their manifesto, but more generally addressing um, the young people' priorities uh, for the next mandate. Um, we will see. We will see in the next uh, few months. I think in uh, in the next few months we will be able to address whether or not those demands have been taken uh, care of in the political agenda, and that's, of course, not the, the end of it. We will, uh, we will um, uh, try and um, uh, do our best to have a greater voice in the next European Parliament. Uh, we will try to create, uh, probably this is too technical, intergroup for young people at the European Parliament. Uh, but what was, what's, I think, the main message that we should convey is participation. So for the political uh, um, agenda of 2024, uh, on the election, we have one important, uh, one important demand, that is uh, vote at 16. Uh, we found, and the more research we do, the more uh, we know about it, that the earlier young people start voting, the more solid is going to be their engagement in a, during their adulthood. So we, we are advocating at the national level, at the European level, to uh, load the voting age at 16. This year, Germany will uh, welcome young voters for the first time uh, in, in the European election. And in general, participation is key for us this year, also because we are gonna, we're going to um, take uh, the European Parliament in, in April for the second edition of Level Up, that is uh, basically a boot camp for young activists where they can uh, learn a lot of skills a lot of information about advocating, campaigning. Uh, so um, to, to, go, to go back on what you can do as a young person, probably engage, participate, create your community, build your own community. Yeah, I think that's kind of inspiring because it is one thing to recognize the issues, but being able to actually you know, act on those, I think that's, that's a whole different area. And, uh, anything else that we should be mentioning about everything happening around the youth project? 
uh, the Youth Progress Index. I assume there might be a 2024 edition coming out. But yeah, so uh, um, the, the Youth Progress Index is produced every two years. So right. we will have the next edition in 2025. But we, we will uh, work on uh, several aspects of, of the project this year. Uh, one of which is, uh, of course, the training. We want to train as much as possible, young people, youth organization, also government and officials. So um, uh, we, we do not discriminate. We want to the, the tool to be used uh, as much as possible. Um, and we believe also that um, a little bit of attention, generally speaking, has society should be uh, on data and how to use data now to, to allow for better data-based advocacy and policy. So this is going to be one of the main um, the main focus on this year, training, and the second fo focus is going to be on these um, these data gaps. So we really want to understand how to make it um, more less of a patchwork and more of a comprehensive overview on young people well-being in the world. So I guess to kind of round it out and looking towards 2025 even, what do you hope will change or improve from the findings you had this year, from the action you guys are doing around the European elections? What's your ideal scenario for 2025? I, I think really what's important if we can shed more light on the fact that we need to progress as a society mm -hmm. on the topics that matter for young people. Um, and we really need, the, for example, starting with the new elected European Parliament and decision makers throughout Europe uh, to really prioritize us. It, it's crisis times. We know budgets are being cut. We don't need governments to fail young people. And unfortunately, we can see that happening already. So we really need a renewed commitment uh, to our priorities. Um, and it starts now with uh, with what we are doing around the European elections, our calls to action for Vote 16, our uh, youth manifesto that we co-produced with, uh, with the youth organizations together with the priorities to have young people there represented and um, work towards this. And apart from that, it's really about starting to work to fill the data gaps that Fabiana was mentioning. So if by 2025 we have decision makers picking it up, uh, research institutions more into checking what they can do for bettering youth data, I would say uh, we have an added bonus. So very open to seeing that happen, actually. Great. I think we should maybe start wrapping up on this point. So. Before I always wrap up, and if there's anything else you want to add that we missed over over this brief foray into the Youth Progress Index, download it online, check it out. Some really interesting insights, and I hope we provide a bit of a, a bird's eye view almost into you know the glaring youth issues you should keep your thumb on or keep your eye on as the election cycle heats up a bit more. But before I end up, I always like to ask a bit more of a fun, you know, sporadic question, which is tangentially related to the topic at, at heart, you know. And I guess today, because you're talking about youth, you know, progress, moving forward, I guess looking backwards, what do you miss most from your youth? What's something that slipped by you and that you forgot actually existed? Well, I didn't, I, I wouldn't say I forgot about it, uh, but um, since your audience is mostly, as I understood, um, young professional in Brussels, yeah. uh, then I think I, the, the thing that I uh, miss the most about my, oh, Teenhood, or at least my younger age, uh, I'm not that old yet, <laughs> it's activism. Uh, it's being really? part of the youth, orga youth yeah. organization more on a grassroots level. Um, now, of course, I work and I'm very happy about the mission of the European Youth Forum. But yeah, that's that's the, the bit the, that I miss the most, uh, being on the ground. It's very 
professional answer to this question here, <laughs> really on brand of your professional profile. Uh, for me, like it was similar to where I was always very involved in like university, not politics, but more study associations and stuff like that. And just having that feeling when you go to campus each day and being able to, you know, connect, and, you know, participate in extracurriculars, meet people that way. It does slip by you a little bit when I think about it. Any, anything from your end, Andrea? Uh, yes, I was just thinking that uh, in I'm also a scout. So in high school, I yeah. used to climb mountains so much. <laughs> this is one of the first thing that I kept thinking about is uh, is hiking and really um, not having to plan that much ahead with mm. friends. We would just, you know, go and camp every month almost uh, away from home in the mountains, uh, camp, go with the tents, do activities, and it would be so fun and careless. I still do that, uh, but it's much readily and requires careful planification also with the commitments that I have now. So It is kind of almost depressing or philosophical to some extent where we're nowadays of of evolved or, you know, grown up to the extent where I use outlook blockers, you know, even in my personal events in my life. Like if I'm going to like, you know, a specific like going out to eat, I put an outlook block on my calendar for like a Sunday. And I'm like, this is such a, I guess I'm growing up, but it does show a bit when you're young, you have that sporadicness, which you, you know, do things such as, you know, go and vote in the European elections. But yeah. Well, on that note, unless we have anything more to add, I'm going to wrap it up here. And I want to thank uh, Andrea Fabiana for coming on, sharing some of the insights. Again, if you haven't heard us already, download the Youth Progress Index. And yeah, bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can always you know find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and occasionally our video pro- uh, produced episodes you can find on our YouTube channel. But that's going to be it for today. Until next time, then. Bye. Thank Check. you so much. Thank you.